this morning. You can flip open to Luke 8. We're going to look at, at verses 26 through 39. Yeah, no revelation, right? It's the break. David told me about, about six weeks ago, hey, can you preach on this date in February? And I started like t- looking at Revelation going, okay, he's done that week. And I got, and I was like, oh, he wants me to preach on Revelation 11. I was like, oh. Then he said, and, and, and you can do what you want. It's like, thank you, Jesus. He answers prayers. All his promises are yes and amen. Uh, and so I don't, have to, I don't have to preach on Revelation. We'll leave that to David. So I want to give you an overview first because I want you to see the significance of the, of the story, right? We're in Luke 8, and we see successive stories happening in Luke 8 of Jesus doing miraculous things. And so Luke 8, 26-39 is the story of Jesus casting out demons. Um, you, you'll, you'll see kind of two things happening here. You'll have Luke will give us the story, and then he'll flash back to something in, that happened, and he'll give us more of the story, then he'll flash back again. So just so it's not confusing, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the structure of this passage. So the first thing that we notice is Jesus arrives, right? He crosses the lake. We'll read this, the passage in just a minute. He crosses the lake. And he arrives. And the first thing we see is this description of this man possessed by demons. Not just one, multiple. The demon recognizes who Jesus is, and then we have the exorcism. I just wanted to write exorcism and put it up on a PowerPoint. So that's why I didn't say casting out the demon. I thought that would be fun. Um, Then there's the proof. Then the people's reaction. And then finally, the commission of the man who was set free from the demons. Okay? So that's the structure. That's the the way we're going to follow this this morning. Let's read uh, verses 26 through 33. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? That's the demon he's asking. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. So, first thing we see here, region, it's the first time, probably I think the only time, where Jesus enters a mostly Gentile region. Now he's gone into Samaria, which has some kind of, they're kind of Jewish. But when, they go, when he goes into this place, it is a completely foreign culture. They're mostly Greek, and they mostly abide by Greek culture. They have different views on everything. So there was common ground between Jesus and the Samarians a little bit. They had a common background and language. But what Jesus is talking to these people, there's no, there's no place where they meet. Their culture is completely different. The way they interact is completely different. Their view uh, of God, and in their mind, God's is completely different, right? The the Greeks are going to see God's as this pantheon of God's that always exact revenge on people. They're looking to punish people. People are like their puppets to toy with. And then here's Jesus coming talking about a father God. That's going to completely blow their mind. They're going to have no perception of this, right? 
So that's the first thing Jesus does as he enters in this culture is he's, he's going against everything that is his Jewishness while he's there. And so to, to kind of explore that a little bit further, he's among Gentiles, one. He's near a herd of pigs, which is also problematic for a Jewish person, right? It's an unclean animal. He encounters a man who's living in the tombs, which every Jew who heard this story would immediately said, that's an unclean person. They wouldn't want to be around this person. They couldn't be around this person. And so what we see here is that Jesus is crossing all boundaries, right? He had gone into places before that other Jews wouldn't have gone into for sure. Now he's going places that not even the most most liberal Jewish person of the time would even consider going to this place because this is as unclean and an unholy a place as you can imagine in Jewish culture. And the first thing he runs into is a man possessed by demons. And so we look at this man here whose name's not mentioned. I think it's important to notice that his, his name is never mentioned. It's the man possessed by demons, and then it's the man who no longer has demons, right? That's, what, that's how he's described in this. We don't hear his name. He's only identified by the chains that bind him up and the chains that he's been freed from, right? We don't get a name for him. But when we see this guy, he's possessed by demons, which everything else kind of stands to reason after that. He's uncontrollable. He's out of his mind. He's chained and guarded. That doesn't even work. He breaks these chains and runs away, right? He behaves like a wild animal. He's displaced from his community, and he lives among the tombs. Tombs. Basically, this guy, he'd be better off if he were dead, right? Nothing about this is positive. He has no clothes. He has no home. He has no people around him. He has everything about him separates him from God. And he's the first guy that Jesus encounters, his only characteristic, again, is his bondage to and his freedom from chains. So there's an identity piece here for us. We're going to dive into it a little bit later. But there's this identity piece of how are we known to the Father? How are we known to God? A lot of times we either connect with God based on our, our sin, like this is how sinful I am, which sometimes that's a, that's a good place to be to recognize that God's grace is freely given and we don't deserve it. And then sometimes we're recognized by the, free, the sins that we're freed from, and so we can share something about that, right? But I think where God wants us is somewhere in between that. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. No, I'm not defined by it. I'm defined by how much you love me and how you set me free, right? And I think that's the first thing that we can pull from this. But I also like how Luke emphasizes Jesus' authority here. He uses the word demon, demons, multiple times here. He wants us to understand that this is not some passing encounter that's just kind of Jesus kind of just says, be gone and walks away from. This is, a, this is an intense, supernatural battle here, right? This is spiritual warfare at the heart, like it's like spiritual warfare in the flesh, which I think that's an oxymoron. But saying, you'll, you'll get what I'm saying, right? It's this, it's this battle between light and darkness that happens right in front of them. And Jesus, or excuse me, Luke, wants us to understand the seriousness of this, right? He's showing Jesus' authority. Just before this, is in verses 22 through 25, we see Jesus calming the storm. So we see him calming or taking authority over the natural. And in this place, we see Jesus taking authority over the supernatural. I think Luke is emphasizing that if Jesus can control the weather and he can cast out demons, he can surely save us. 
And I think that's what he's saying here. Look at this. If you remember that song, yet his promises are yes and amen. There's a promise that, that goes un, all the way through Scripture, and you see it played out here. He's big enough. He's good enough. He's, he, has, he has the authority to save us, and here's the proof of it. So Jesus comes, he storms. So as we move through this, the demon then reveals himself, right? He says, my name is Legion. I've read a lot of different things on what that means. And a Roman legion had, uh, the estimates are between two and 5,000 people, men in a Roman legion, right? So basically he's saying there's like one demon's enough. This guy's got thousands. So whatever that thousands is, it doesn't really matter to us. One's enough to drive you crazy. Thousands is plenty to do whatever it needs to do here. But so Jesus comes up and they've got, they say, don't like Jesus, son of God, what do you want with me? I think it's, I think it's also, we're not going to talk about this, but just to kind of a tangent, I think it's interesting how the demons recognize who Jesus is and the, and the, and the teachers of the law don't. So they say, Jesus, don't, like, don't torment us, don't torture us, give us permission to go in these pigs. So he sends them in these pigs. I think that may be some foreshadowing, right, of Jesus throwing Satan into the abyss in Revelation. But again, that's a David topic, not a me topic. Let's look on at Luke 34. Verse 34, sorry. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the, in the town in the countryside. And the people went out to see what, what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man with whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. We're going to come back to that verse in just a minute. Then all the people of the the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and left. So it turns out that if you cast out demons, people are going to talk about it. It spreads everywhere, right? There's an economic impact that happens here with these herd of pigs being drowned. And so this makes big news in this town, and people come from all over the place. And what they see is completely opposite of what they're expecting, right? This guy's been chained. He's been locked in his house. He's been living in the tombs. And when they get there and they see the man, I think it's interesting to see the contrast of what they knew and what they now experience. So instead of being driven out to the tombs, this guy is sitting Right? He's not running away. He's not being driven out. Instead of being naked, he's clothed. Right? Instead of living in the tombs, this is a big one for us, he's at the feet of Jesus. So instead of living among the dead, he's living with the source of life, and he's connected to Jesus. And then finally, instead of being chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he was in his right mind. Luke uses the word, he says that he's cured here, Right? The Greek word there is sozo, which means saved, cured, healed, whatever, whatever works for you there. And I think that Luke uses this because he sees in describing the healing slash salvation ministry of Jesus. See, I think Luke sees both of those things as one. Healing and salvation are going hand in hand. This guy, this demoniac, hasn't simply been cured of a demon but he's been cured of everything that separates him from God. Whatever there is that separates him from God, Jesus just casts that out. Demons included and whatever else thing, whatever chain this man's holding on to or has been, in, been controlled by for his entire life, Jesus just broke off the chains and says, basically, you're free. 
You're free to, to do what, what I've called you to do. And the people there, they see this, and instead of rejoicing and, saying, and recognizing who Jesus was, they immediately culturally go to this idea that this is some God that's come to torment them, and they want Jesus to go away. But the, the, but the man possessed, the man who was possessed by demons, says, no, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to go away. He says this in 38 and 39. He said, the man who, from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He, this guy possessed desires to follow Jesus, and Jesus says no. Not in a rebuke way, not in a way to shun him, but he gives him a different responsibility. He says, go and tell the people what, what God's done for you. And I think it's interesting. Jesus says, go and tell the people what God's done for you. And then Luke says that the man went and told everyone what Jesus had done for him. Right? This connection that Luke's making for us, that Jesus and God together, right? One. And so what we see is that this guy just goes into town. Jesus doesn't reject him. He just refocuses him. You're not coming with me. You're going out there. And how Jesus takes them away. And then this, this command, whatever you want to call it, to go and tell everybody about what God's done for you. Right? So I'm preparing this message. I'm thinking about this message for a few weeks. And then I went to the men's retreat last, week, last weekend, it was, which was awesome. You heard guys talk about that. And at one point, I was sitting down listening to Micah talk. And I wrote... In my journal, I wrote down that, that the gospel of Jesus break cha breaks chains, but I don't think I live that way. Right? There's chains broken off. God has broken off chains of sin in my life, but I don't think I live that way. And this may come, so I'm, I'm going I'm to share some personal stuff here for a minute. And this may come to a surprise to none of you, um, especially those of you that know me. I'm looking at this front row and a little bit nervous. So I struggle with anger a little bit, right? Anger is one of those chains that God has broken off from me, set me free from, but for some reason, I'm so used to it, it's become, I'm so used to the chain that it's become comfortable, so I pick it up and carry it around with me. Now, Jesus has broken it off, and his death and resurrection broke that off from me. I grab it, right? Like, to the point where I kind of embraced the idea of it for a long time, like getting my anger out. Les and Ashley used to come and watch me coach basketball when I was a head basketball coach, and they really had questions about my Christianity and my faith based on how I acted when I would throw my tie, my, my coat, flip a chair, all those things, right? Justifiably so. But the, the problem for me is, is like this anger is comfortable. I look back and I see my grandfather was great. I mean, he became a Christian when he was 88 years old. And I just remember him being a really, really angry, angry person. Right? He was angry all the time. Like, that's the only emotion he had. And then I see that my dad, my dad's great. I'm not bashing on my dad here, but my dad struggles with this same thing. I remember one time he was putting together a bed and he got so mad because it wouldn't fit right. He grabbed the bed rail and threw it out the window. With the glass, not, not open window, through the glass all the way out. And I see that come out in him sometimes. And then I see Amy and I, when we first got married, we were putting a new ceiling fan up in our bedroom. And I've got this ceiling fan. I've got it wired. I'm holding it with this hand. And I've got this screwdriver trying to balance the screw. And some of y'all have done this. 
balance the screw on it, right, to get it up in there like this. And I'm trying, I get it, and it slips down, I get it, and it slips down. The third time I did it, it slipped down. I grabbed that ceiling fan, and I spiked that thing in the floor as hard as I could, million pieces, right? That's, I just embrace the anger. That's who I am. That's what I am. I'm just an angry person. But then really what really became convicting to me was now I see it in my kids. Right? I see my children, and they're, and they're angry. And God didn't make them angry. The generational curses are broken off. But they're learning from me that I can pick up this chain of anger And they pick it up alongside of me. They're helping me carry this chain that goes back for generations that Jesus broke off at the cross. But they're helping me carry it, and I see it in them. And I wrote this yesterday, and I I rewrote it again this morning. But as I was praying about this idea of anger last night, and I come home. I've been up here working on it a little bit. I come home, and my wife just bought my son a new pair of baseball cleats. Right, they're nice. They're all shined up, and he's putting them on, trying to put them on. He can't get them on, and he's struggling. He's like, "These cleats are stupid. Why would you ever spend money on something like this? Why would you buy me these things? Why didn't you get the ones?" And and I lost it. I grabbed those cleats and I walked on my back porch and I chucked those things into my neighbor's backyard because I was so angry that he wasn't just respectful to his mom, and I started thinking about it as. You know, David got up one time at man camp and he said, if your children bring the anger out in you, that means it's in you to begin with. And what I realized is that I got this anger and I don't have to have it. I don't need to be angry. Jesus broke that off. The truth of the gospel broke off what it means to be angry. The truth of the gospel is that Tim Keller says it this way. It's going to be up there on the screen. Tim Keller says, through the work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and he restores the creation so that we can enjoy our new life together with him. See, I'm thankful that the gospel isn't just about salvation, right? Jesus loves me. He's made a way for me to be with the Father, made a way for me to go to heaven, but he doesn't stop there. He could stop there and say, figure it out the rest of the time. But instead of stopping there, he says, I'm going to break off all the things that bind you. I'm going to break off all of those chains that you, that you have. Now, all you have to do is respond to it and lay it down. Quit picking up the chains. I'm talking to myself, not you. Quit picking up the chains. Quit, quit embracing these chains. Quit worrying about the comfort I only, there's only one response to Jesus doing this for us, and it's what the, the guy possessed by demons responded with. Who can I go and tell what Jesus has done for me? It's what, it's what motivates us. It's, it's the inspiration behind what we're doing in the youth ministry. It's the inspiration about what I do with any ministry. Jesus broke off chains in my life, and I keep going back to them. I'm ready to set them down and tell people what, what Jesus has done for me. That's what advancing the gospel looks like. That's what sharing the gospel looks like, is going to people and telling them that. But too often, we make excuses for ourselves, and we pick up those old chains. And for me, anyway, it invalidates any testimony that I have when I keep grabbing up the same garbage and carrying it around with me. And so this morning, there's two things I want to give you the opportunity for. There's chains. We all pick up chains. We're all, if we're following Jesus, those chains have been broken, but we keep picking them up. And so we want to give you an opportunity this morning to get prayer. That, that, that the ministry teams will be up here in a few minutes. 
And just let them pray for you that you cannot pick those chains up anymore. Right? The whole idea of me saying anger is my issue is because I'm going to put it out there for you so you can hold me accountable. All of you. I don't, some, some, most of you I don't know. And you can just ask me, did you get angry at your kids today? Because what I found is, like my, my, I'm good at stuffing anger down deep so everybody sees a good picture until I get home. And my family gets, what lef, gets what's left over. And everybody else sees this facade that I want to show them. And so we want to give you the opportunity to, to, to break that chain off, to, to give that chain away. Lay it down and not return to it. And if that's not you, I don't know who that's not, but if that's not you, we also want to give you the opportunity to give away what God's given you. All of us know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. All of us. And God's done great things for you. He's broken off chains in each one of your lives, and you have the responsibility to tell people what God's done for you. So if you're willing, I'd love for you to write down the name of the person somewhere. In your, however it is you take notes, if it's a journal, if it's in your phone, whatever it is, write the name down of one person that you know that doesn't know Jesus and put it in your journal or your phone so that you'll see it again. And don't put it on a back page and you'll never get to it. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it again and you'll be reminded, if nothing else, to pray for them to receive Jesus. But I'm going to pray for you have the opportunity to share your faith with them. So ministry teams, if you'll come up, Bo, if you'll come up, I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then you just respond. Whatever you want the Lord to kind of say, don't pick that up anymore. Just pray. Let's come up here and let these folks pray for you. Let them pray that, that you'll be able to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that the truth of the gospel is freedom. You make a way for us to be with you in heaven, but you also make a way for us to be free from all of those things here, God. And we want this morning to step into that freedom. We pray that you'll help us to step into that freedom, that we'll move in that freedom, that we won't continually go back to the things that separate us from you, that we'll embrace what you've done for us, God, and that we'll share it with the people who you place in our lives for us to share it with. God, I just pray for each person here that they'll be willing to just to share that, as we name it, Lord, you take it and you, you remove it. You don't just break the chain. You'll take it and move it for us. And that's our prayer this morning. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll come. You'll highlight the things that need to be highlighted. And you'll help us move into deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.